What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This has been the most tense podcast I have ever done. Kevin Sherrington. You were working on typewriters in town. Barry Horn. I don't even know who you are anymore. Where were you last week? Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about colleges. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the college Ballsy with a Z podcast. Yes, and welcome into another edition of the Ballsy Podcast powered by the Dallas Morning News. I'm Sean Bass of The Ticket in studio today in the lavish studios here at the Morning News with Barry Horn, Kevin Sherrington, and Evan Grant. And on our phone line right now, as we are about six weeks away from the college football getting going, we're going to talk to Fox Sports' own Tim Brando. Tim, thanks for the time today. And from what I understand, you were talking to uh, Barry and company last week, but we had some technical snafus. So thanks for doing this again. Yeah, I think that... um Barry being, you know, such a media critic, mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing to me he just couldn't quite get the technological thing together, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it happens, fellas. Uh, I, I'm trying to think, uh, oops, uh, what, what, what other headlines could we get? Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tim, you're going to be in the booth on the call for the Big 12 plenty this year, and I guess we'll start there. We yeah. just had the uh, Big 12 media days last week, and it's a conference that is small, but it's a conference that I think some feel is going to improve. And I guess let's start with Texas because uh, many years, if so goes the conference, so goes the Longhorns. What do you make of Tom Herman and what he's trying to build, I guess, off the bat down there? Well, I, I, I certainly believe that Texas is going to uh, win a lot of games. And I think Charlie Strong, when he said last year and really the year before that, that you know he could win 10 games in 2017, I don't think that was um, – hyperbolic at all. I think the talent is there. Now, some of it needs to play to a higher level and remain healthy, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where I think they just have underachieved to some extent. But uh, but the talent level is there. Now, I, offensively, what's going to be really interesting to me is to see how Bouchelle, at quarterback, who I believe is very, very talented, has a chance to play at the next level. And Maybe wake up the echoes of uh, of Colt McCoy, which I think was the the billing that he had, particularly after the win against Notre Dame to open the season last year. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it'll be interesting to me to see how Tom handles a quarterback that's not an RPO uh, guy, because Bouchelle is more of the traditional drop back passing style quarterback. It's not that he can't run, but you don't want him to run. Uh, and really, that's not what what uh, Tom had at Houston, and I think we all know that. Uh, and it's what he traditionally had. It's what he had at Ohio State when, when Urban's offense was really clicking with him. So he's going to have to earn his stripes as a head coach by adjusting to the talent that he has at, at that position first and foremost. And I think with the bevy of backs that Texas has, the ability to run the ball will be there. The test early with Maryland I think we'll learn a lot about because – uh, Durkin's got a good team, you know, a team that made a bowl a year ago. That's no slouch that they're going to play. I know a lot of people in Texas don't know a great deal about Maryland, probably look at them in the same vein as maybe Rutgers in the Big Ten, but that's not really true. Maryland has, has a good chance to beat you. They've got some talented, skilled guys. 
So we'll learn a little bit in that first game. And uh, I, I think the potential is there for them to be that 10-win team that Charlie was talking about. Let's just hope uh, they don't Kansas get distracted State by terrible really uniforms, solid. you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 what, that's what a lot of people from Texas know about Maryland is they have some god-awful uniforms, and that's about yeah, it. Well, so, yeah. well the, the, they may have some bad uniforms and, and ugly helmets, but the talent within it is a lot better than maybe a lot of people think. Uh, fans at schools like Texas tend to be provincial. Uh, and I don't know that they realize that Maryland's as good as they are. Um, it's a, I, it's I thought the, time out, Tim. Go time ahead. out. It's not that yep. fans of Texas are provincial. It's just that there's no place else other than Austin. <laughs> okay. All right. I, um, I'll, 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 I'll defer to you on that one, Grant. No, uh, I, yeah, we'll just say that they're a little bit more leaning in that direction in the locale than, than any place else. But – but truthfully, Texas, to, to answer the big picture of the question, I, I think that they could uh, determine who wins the Big 12. I don't think they're going to win the Big 12, but I think they'll have a big say in it because Oklahoma State's the best team in the league. Oklahoma, in my opinion, is the next best team, and they could uh, impact which one of those quads actually gets it done, uh, in my opinion. But, but that doesn't mean that they can't win 10. The Kansas State game, which is a game that I'll likely be in for, uh, in early October, is a critical game because I, I think K-State is that other team that people always overlook, it seems, and with their quarterback returning and a lot of the talent that, that Snyder always seemingly grows from within and is always a senior-laden club, they have given Texas fits of late, and I think that will be a game that Texas absolutely must win. All right, I'm just going to, as usual, bring everything right back down to a screeching halt because I'm going to go off in a completely d- different direction because we just finished recording a Cowboys mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> Look at Evan. He's so happy. And Lucky Whitehead has been cleared of all charges. That's right. <laughs> wrong guy. Is that true? That's true. They get wrong the man. wrong guy. <laughs> How about that? Wow, the agent was right. They they all all charges, according to Ian Rappaport, all charges were dropped, warrant rescinded, cops had the wrong guy, and the Cowboys then released him. <laughs> well, I think there were some other there issues involved with, uh, with Lucky. Besides Which, that. There you go. All right, well, that brings us right back to college football, Tim. <laughs> there... Isn't Ian Rappaport doing the big three? For Christ's sakes, can you just, can we move on? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim, I got something for you. You just mentioned that you think Oklahoma State's going to be better than OU, and everybody has the Cowboys and the Sooners at the top of, uh, I guess, all the media polls. Obviously, Baker Mayfield's coming back for a th- uh, third year, and coming off a couple of Heisman years. That uh, that team seems balanced. They've always been able to run the football. What makes Oklahoma State a better, more loaded team than OU, even with Lincoln Riley coming in year one? Well, they return, they return more and especially skilled people. You know, no D.D. Westbrook, no P. Uh, P. Ryan, no um, Mixon. Mixon. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, uh, Oklahoma always has great talent, and it, but th- this talent will be young, and I think Link- it's going to be wonderful to watch. You know, the dynamic with Lincoln as a new head coach in Oklahoma and Tom, the new head coach at Texas, uh, there, that's, that's the buzz, I think, around the country is can those two – bring their collective programs to the top and salvage the Big 12 between now and, you know, 2025 so that the league remains intact. I don't think there's any doubt about that. That being the big picture bell cow story. All right. But Oklahoma State's best team. It's not close. Mason Rudolph is the 
uh, most talented, in my opinion, thrower of the ball and a guy that can run Mike Gundy's offense very well. Uh, he had a bad game in Bedlam. Spencer and I were there for it. And uh, I know that left a really bad taste in his mouth. Uh, but James Washington r- rarely, if ever, touched the ball that day. Uh, the ball was a little slick. He didn't handle it particularly well. It was just an off day. Uh, and yet they were in the game until midway in the fourth quarter. They missed a field goal that could have brought them to within one score. Then Mixon set sail after their shoulders dropped for about an 80-yard run, and it was ball game. But, but, but it was but, a highly but, competitive game, and a game Oklahoma State could have won even last. Games in Stillwater this year. And they return a lot of their talent up front. That defense has been, but don't break. I think Spencer, as the D coordinator there, has understood that you're going to give up a lot of yardage in the Big 12. But as long as you don't give up a lot of points, you got a chance to win. I like that defense. And I really like uh, the, the big ticket players they have. Uh, at running back, Washington is, is, I think, one of the most electrifying players returning. And Oklahoma State just never gets. I mean, it's the little brother. It never gets the run, just like Michigan State doesn't in the Big Ten when they're good. Uh, the Cowboys are the best team. I've got them in the Final Four of the college football playoff. They are my party crasher. I do think they lose a game and maybe even Bedlam. But because there's a Big 12 championship, an opportunity at redemption uh, in Jerry World, I think they'll win that game and that extra victory. 12-1 and one trumps 11-1. and one. And I think they're going to get in. Tim, I'm just a casual, casual observer of the scene, but doesn't it always seem that it comes down to Oklahoma? When it comes down to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, Oklahoma wins yeah. the game. Yeah, and the amazing thing to me, Barry, is how many people that cover college football in the Southwest don't remember that. I mean, even when these teams are average, it comes down to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. <laughs> you know, uh, and people remember Oklahoma playing for the title. But they don't remember Oklahoma State playing for it. And I think there's a reason for it, obviously. Uh, traditionally, uh, the Cowboys have stubbed their toe. Gundy, who I think is really one of the best coaches uh, in the country, uh, seems to coach a little tight in that game. I-, I thought he was a little tight with some of his decisions late in the game with Oklahoma. Uh, the play calling late to set up for a field goal that, you know, he really was putting it on his kicker to keep them in the game, and I thought, man, your team's moving it. Go ahead, put the pedal to the metal. He lost some of his aggression, and then on the next play, I mean, you could just sense it that Oklahoma was coming in for the kill. The Cowboys' defense came out, gave up about an 80-yard run, and it was ball game. So uh, I think that, um, you know, yeah, this is a team that, you know, in 2011 should have played for the national championship, and about every four or five years, Mike's got a great team. Even though he doesn't get the four and five star guys that either Texas or OU does, so he develops his talent about as well as any coach in America. Speaking of coaches in America, Tim, now we've got two brand new ones on the scene uh, in Tom Herman uh, at Texas and Lincoln, Lincoln Riley. Riley at Oklahoma. Uh, so who's got the leg up in in debut season? I, I just want to say that you are. What I like to call a master of segues. You know, I was gonna, I was gonna ask the same question. Essentially, I was gonna ask the same question, but I know the answer because I, w- I was on the podcast last, last week, week yeah. and I know, I know what he's gonna say. But that was a great segue. Thanks very much. So, Tim, uh, what's, uh, what's, what's your, what, what are your thoughts? Who's, who's got the leg up this first season? Well, that was a great segue, but I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, listen, uh, if I if you're asking me immediately who has the leg up, who's in the best situation right now, I mean at this very moment, okay, it's Lincoln Riley. Right. All right, because Lincoln Riley has his quarterback returning, a guy that he knows and has known for a long, long time that he's very comfortable with. And uh, the, the, the entourage of talent around him is really, really solid, but young. But he's got a very capable Heisman candidate, a guy that's been a finalist that he's very comfortable with at that position. Tom Herman does not. Uh, Bouchel is not the style of quarterback that he traditionally runs his offense around. So he's going to have to make an, an adjustment. And how easily he makes that, and this is more on him than it is Bouchel, in my opinion. You learn a lot about coaches when they inherit somebody else's talent. And uh, I think this kid, Bouchelle, is really special. Uh, I saw him enough last year. He was really good in a couple of instances, not so good in others. You know, he looked really uh, dynamic early. He looked a little young, making some mistakes in some games that I saw later in the year. So uh, that's the big question for me is how Herman reacts. But long term, and from a big picture point of view, uh, I think Texas has a leg up because Tom has been a head coach. I think the time that he spent as a head coach in Houston is beneficial. Uh, he's coached in some big-ticket games. Uh, the bowl win, obviously, in Atlanta against Florida State was huge. Uh, to do what they did early last year uh, and beat, beat Oklahoma and have themselves in that position, also very big. But it was also telling to me when the wheels came off and he had a couple of injuries – and the issues that he had to face as the Houston coach once they had dropped a couple of games, you know, he, he, he looked like a young coach too at times uh, at the end of the season. So uh, I guess I think both – I can spin it positively for both programs, but immediately I give Lincoln Riley the edge with his current team. But I think, you know, because he's got to now be a CEO. You know, Lincoln never had to manage other assistant coaches and – who your defensive guy is going to be. And I think a lot of eyes will be on him on what direction they go in. I mean, Mike Stoops, one of the more criticized uh, coordinators around, and that defense has been lit up by a lot of people in in the last year or so. And now there are going to be some decisions that have to be made on what direction they go in. And as a head coach in college football, you got to be a CEO. And uh, Tom's already done that, and, and, uh, and Lincoln hasn't. But I will tell you, Knowing Lincoln like I do, and I've spent more time with him than I have with Herman, man, I love him. I, I just, this guy was, no one should be surprised that he was tabbed very early by the constituency there in Oklahoma, by Castiglione and by Stoops as the heir apparent, because he's the real deal. When you meet with him, when you have a meeting prior to the start of a game, uh, he can spell it out for you in a very mature way. And, uh, and a lot of times you hear broadcasters, I know, go on and on about how impressed they are with coaches. Well, you know, some, some of them deserve it, and Lincoln's one of those guys. Tim, who made the smarter hire, Oklahoma or Texas? Smarter hire. Lincoln, I think, was a calculated hire, and a lot of people didn't know it. Uh, you know, Bob and, uh, and Joe and David Bourne have been together for a long, long time. And so the degree to which they share information is pretty strong, especially Joe and Bob. Um, so while a lot of people were just shocked at the timing, and I was too, I was surprised by it, uh, 
I wasn't surprised, though, the reasoning behind it. You know, two young sons that are going to play big-time college football, still in high school, played for the state title last year. He had to go to the game in Tulsa on the Friday eve of the, the Bedlam game on the last weekend of the year. Uh, his dad dying basically on the field at age 54. You know, these things, mortality stays with guys when they lose their fathers early. I know I lost mine when I was 29 and he was 58. And uh, as a 61-year-old now, I'm telling you, I, I remember it. And I think about it all the time. So uh, I think it was more calculating what happened um, at Oklahoma in terms of the buildup to the, the, the passing of the baton, so to speak. Texas, we had this conversation last year, okay? Uh, this was a hire that was made under duress. Uh, but it was one that if they didn't get their guy, they were going to look really bad. So, you know, that, there was strife. There was tension, obviously, through the back half of the year, all of November. And if Texas hadn't gotten Tom Herman, uh, it would have been there would have been a lot of drama. So I, I think Oklahoma's was a much more controlled hire, but I think Texas, in their mind, hit the lottery. And as a result, they've got a lot of excitement and energy in Austin, and you can feel it. You know, so I think both are in good positions. I know you guys are trying to find a way for me to be negative about one and positive about another, but. I think oh, the stop. Is positive both ways. Stop, really stop. Is. Well, I, <laughs> I think that the, the that what do we have here between Texas and Oklahoma, if this works out, that seems to be the, the start of a really great rivalry when you have both of these guys coming in and, at one time. I think the last time was 47, didn't we establish that? 1947? Yeah, yeah. When you had two guys. It's a new chapter. Yes, yeah. a, new, a new chapter. A new chapter. Yeah, so Kevin, this, Kevin was a rookie sports writer in 47. Yes, I was. It was a great year, 47. <laughs> Love that. Love that fall. You and Dan Jenkins were covering the game. Yeah, yes, that is, that is correct. That is correct. Yeah. Do you are you a believer that uh, uh, when we talked about earlier about what has to happen with these teams that, that Texas and Oklahoma is more important for the Big Twelve for Texas and Oklahoma to be great than it is for TCU and Baylor? Yes, yes, uh, and, and I don't think there's an athletic director in the league would tell you anything different. When you when you go uh, when you go when you go into meetings at Fox, is is it pretty evident there that that the people at, at the network? In California, they think that that's true as well? Yes. And that would be true, I think, in meetings if you had them in Bristol or if you had them in New York, wherever. Um, listen, uh, if it weren't for uh, the Longhorn Network and that $300 million mistake, okay, and it was a huge mistake, let's face it, Barry, from a television business point of view, there have been other big ones made there <laughs> and other big ones made at other places, but... Without that, says the former ESPN broadcaster. The Big broadcaster. Twelve is done. The yeah. Big Twelve is done. So, you say what you want about the Longhorn Network, but it saved, it saved the Big Twelve. Otherwise, we would have seen uh, the Pac-12 get what they want, and you know everything would have been shaken up immediately. And I don't think that's lost on really solid uh, administrators like Del Conte at um, at TCU, who I think is one of the best, by the way. Uh, and the the TCUs and the Baylors and the Kansas States of the world can have great success, and, and we should follow that success. Uh, I mean, we should document it, okay? But there's no denying that Texas and Oklahoma, just like USC and UCLA in, in the Pac-12 and in the old, even going back to the Pac-8 days, 
when Oregon State had Terry Baker in 1962 and the one and he won the Heisman. Okay, no one remembers that he won the Heisman because you know that year USC you know didn't do very well. Well, you you need those programs that traditionally are really really good to be really really good for you to get the national run that you want. You know, I mean, Beano Cook got the Texas Arkansas game moved in 1969 to the date that it was because he could go into Rune Arledge and say, Rune, if you can get this game moved, I'll be one and two. I'll be one and two. And you'll have the game national. You'll have the biggest audience ever. It'll be the game of the century. Okay. Uh, the same would be true when you know you can see that certain schools that bring a claim outside the footprint of that area, then the nation really takes takes time and and and, and gives it some attention. You know that's not going to happen with with Baylor or with TCU, but it will happen with Texas and Oklahoma. Can we touch on Baylor real quick? Because I'm curious from a broadcast standpoint, dealing with what they've dealt with as a school and as a program over the past couple of years, how do you, I guess, handle that heading into a broadcast or how you've handled that the past few years knowing uh, some of the allegations and the scandal that sort of rocked that program? Well, we did a, the first game televised last year uh, at Baylor against SMU, you may recall. Mm-hmm. And we had to you deal with it in terms of tone. All right, um, fans might be excited about it, uh, and uh, and and they are because the season's starting. You don't want to rain on their parade. Those students that come out to, to run onto the field as they always do at Baylor to start the game want to enjoy it. It's one of the proud traditions that they have in Waco. Uh, but as a broadcast journalist, uh, you have to have a different kind of tone, and you certainly have to um, mention you know what the program. Uh, has gone through, uh, but you, you you do it uh, early, get it over with, mm-hmm. meet it right at the top of the show, and then uh, get to the football because that's why people are tuning in. You know, we're not there to do sixty minutes. I'm not I'm not the late Mike Wallace. I'm I'm a play by play guy that's got to call a game. Can you do a Mike? Can you do a Mike Wallace imitation like you do the Beano <laughs> Cup? <laughs> Though you remember the game, I know with Oklahoma State, I believe it was Oklahoma State, Kansas, and we had the uh, the um, homecoming parade where a late crazy woman went through a car right. and yep. killed three people. Yes, and uh, Spencer and I had to open that game, and about three hours before the game started in Stillwater, we didn't know if we were going to have a game, uh, and we had to walk from our hotel, which was about you know, probably three quarters of a mile to the stadium, and everything was roped off. But because we were pressed, we could get through the roped-off areas. And it was a crime scene. And we walked past body bags, you know, before we called a, a football game. Well, you can have 70,000 people screaming inside uh, T. Boone Pickens Stadium, but you can't forget what just happened. And that had made national news. Before we got on the air, CNN's doing live shots from there, and Fox News is as well. Right. So, you know, we, we began the game with an obituary. All right, and uh, that was tough. So tone, when you're dealing with a story like the Baylor story or with something that happened, you know, a current event that just happened around a live event, you got to be very, very uh, delicate with the way you approach it because, yeah, there's a live game going on, but there's sometimes elements in the, in the live arena that you can't control but you have to address. But then once the game starts, you, you call a football game. What do you make of the Matt Rule hiring? 
at Baylor after the whole fiasco with Art Riles. Oh, I loved it. I, I, I loved it, and I like everything he's doing. Uh, Matt's a tough, gritty, fun-loving, charismatic guy. I think going outside the state of Texas to bring in a guy like him with his pedigree and with his uh, success, I mean, what he did at Temple was incredible. I mean, that program was so bad, it was kicked out of the Big East. I mean, kicked out of, at the time, what was the Big East football conference. And uh, the success uh, seeds were sown pretty quickly by him. I mean, that club nearly beat a Central Florida club that only lost one game in the regular season a few years ago and had Blake Bortles. They were really, really good. And they did it with defense, and they did it with toughness. And, um, you know, I think he'll do really, really well there. I know he's making every effort to change the narrative uh, at Baylor. And that's, that's really the first and foremost job that he has at hand. And if you look at his schedule – they have the potential to come out of the gates. I mean, uh, I think they play Liberty early. They, they, they could go. They got a game at Duke in week three. And they could go 3-0 and before they get to conference play. But then you look at that murderer's row when, once they get to conference play. I mean, it's boom, boom, boom. They'll, they'll likely be 0-5 in the league, you know, by the time they get to November. But they've got a chance as the schedule softens up to get to bowl eligibility. And I think that – Man, if they could get five or six wins, that's success for them this year. Tim, uh, Evan has his hand up uh, to ask a question, but we voted in here. We wanted a good question, so I'm going to ask one instead. Uh, and, and that question is, out in Lubbock, Cliff Kingsbury, is he on the hottest seat in the country? No. No, yeah. not at all. So shut up. <laughs> all right. So speaking, speaking of hottest seats in the country, Tim – <laughs> so contentious. No, he's on a hot seat, okay, like a tortilla, like hot, like like, like that. But he's not on, you know, a, a hot seat where the the fire is really already brimming. Okay, um, it's Lubbock, Texas, and they beat Texas at Texas Thanksgiving weekend two years ago. All right, that doesn't happen very often. Cliff didn't do that as a player. Yeah. he finally did it as a coach. So. Yeah, he needs to win, and that defense uh, with Coach Gibbs that, that you know gives, gives up more yards than you know teams in Division Three. All right, I, I I would suggest that Wisconsin Whitewater's defense at the D three level might have been better than Texas Tech's last year. All right, but all right, listen, they they score a lot of points. They have a system in play that offensive players love. It's entertaining. The fans are showing up there in great number every week to support the team. He's one of their own. I just think if the defense can at least get the turnover ratio back their way. You know, that's what Gibbs – Gibbs had a great defense at Houston. He left a really good team. Might have been the one of the reasons that Houston couldn't hold it together after they had those early wins last year is their defense fell apart. That and a couple of injuries to go with it. So I think that um, – Texas Tech will probably still be competitive even without Patrick Mahomes. Uh, they've got great quarterback play, no matter, you know, their statistics are obscene how good they are. So I think it's a hot seat within the Big 12 that if there's a coach that really needs to have a good year for a better quality of life, it's likely Cliff. But no, comparing his hot seat to, say, someone like Butch Jones at Tennessee, uh, Listen, if Kirby Smart lays an egg at Georgia and, look, oh. and Mark Rick has a great year at Miami, think about that. 
Let, let me suggest that I, I here, here comes mind, Georgia booster Georgia booster Evan Grant. Look, Kirby Smart's got he's he's been predicted to win the SEC East, and and it's the honeymoon so, period is going to be over. So so but, so what's the SEC East? But, but nah, that's what awful, I said. It's an awful division. But let me say this: division, I don't even Evan. think I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is the hottest the coach who, on the hottest seat in Texas. Kirby Smart, who's who's to say Kirby Smart right now isn't the next Derek Dooley? Oh, man. As a head coach in college. Yeah. What was and that? I like yeah. Derek Dooley, by the way. He's the wide receivers coach for the Cowboys. For the Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, here's the question. Is, is is Cliff Kingsbury even on the hottest seat in Texas? Because from from my personal state of, of, of perspective, hmm. Texas A&M is projected to finish fifth in the SEC West this year. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Sumlin is, is certainly his, – his athletic director has already said it. So, yeah, I mean – I think that – Kevin di- knows that. The, the nobody cares what you think. The, the, <laughs> the difference between those two guys to me is that there are people at Texas Tech, people that I know, who love Cliff. Yeah. They love him personally, mm-hmm. and, they, and they don't – they want him to succeed. Right. I don't think there right. are any people at A&M that love Kevin Sumlin. But that's my point. Right. No, Kevin I think Sumlin, it's, it's a great right. point. Kevin Sumlin's point. on a much hotter seat. And if, yeah. you, if you ask me about a guy who's on a hot seat at a big-time program, that, it's got to be him. But, I mean, he's, he's picked fifth in the SEC West. Uh, There's no way he's coaching the I, I, agree, I agree with that, but, I, but here's the thing. I think Kevin Sumlin can bail himself out. I think that that team, I think that yeah. team could yeah. win, and they win nine or ten games, and they can't fire him. I don't think that. I don't. Th- you I, think they will? I don't. I don't think they could. Listen, I'm saying I don't think Cliff K- Kingsbury can. You don't think Cliff Listen, Kingsbury? Yeah, but Cliff Kingsbury Sullivan. doesn't need to win nine or ten. Wins. No, he doesn't. But I don't even know if he can get to a ball. His game. defense needs to not not give up miles of offense. Oh, absolutely. That's it's just literally not, miles of offense. Just, it, and, and, let me let me help both, right. let me help both of you guys out. Let me help both of you guys out. All right. In the SEC. Past Alabama, and I would tell you because of Jarrett Stidham, Auburn is a national sleeper, and if they beat Clemson in week two, then look out for the Iron Bowl. Auburn may be the great party crasher and the biggest story in college football this year. Jarrett Stidham's that good. And when Gus Malzahn has a quarterback that can really chunk it and spin it, and this kid can, I saw him at Baylor up close and personal, you know, after Seth Russell got hurt, and he's as good as any quarterback that they had there and the offense that Gus runs is different but I think it's one that can be easily mastered by Jarrett all right so if Auburn gets that win at Clemson then it changes a little bit of the narrative in the SEC because Auburn I think is the team that's got the moxie to contend with Alabama nobody else in the league does Georgia can't Tennessee can't South Carolina's improved and Kentucky's improved they can't in the west LSU's got to play a murderous schedule the athletic director did an awful job. Hey, here we go. It's the LSU segment of they the were show. Gonna, <laughs> they were never going to get who they thought they were going to get. Now, because of the stupid deal he made with Florida, poor Ed Orgeron's got to coach in Gainesville those two games going across divisions for the next two years. Wow. Thank you, Joe Oliva. Job well done. <laughs> Wake up the echoes, Duke and Brock. Okay? So... And so, now it's time in the Ballsy Podcast for Tim so Brando's weekly rip of LSU AD Joe Oliva. <laughs> so the, the, the situation is this. It's Alabama and pretty much everybody else in that league. So could Kevin Sumlin win nine games, maybe ten? Sure he can. They've got a lot of talent there, certainly had the facilities, 
And I think the key for them will be what they do in the, the late season game with, uh, with LSU, a team that's had their number even when Manziel was there. They had their number. So uh, I, I'm, I'm with you, Shannon. I, I think that um, yeah, Kevin, don't underestimate his ability when the chips are down and everybody's coming after him. He's pretty slick. I, I, I think he's a lot better coach than the Aggie faithful believe. And if they're trying to do to him what a lot of the Texas people were able to do and, and, and pull off against Charlie, shame on them because they got a pretty good coach. The, the only the only difference there is that Charlie Strong had three years and Kevin Sumlin's had how many now? I think he's going to do his a sixth lot. season. And yeah. how many champion? How many division also, championships? He also gave him great success early when they made the transition to the SEC. That bought him a little more time. You know, uh, whether it was Johnny Football or not, that bought him a little more time. Yeah, I think if that at A and M, if that had been, uh, if we'd flipped the script, if Johnny had not come along until let's say he was going to be a freshman, a redshirt freshman this year, right? Um, that, yeah. Boy, then I think you'd really have some misgivings about the whole SEC move and everything that happened. And Tim, just uh, okay. just to not upset a part of our audience, just say something nice about TCU, just so we covered all the Texas teams, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> well, Gary, I mean, listen, that program uh, has been outstanding but it's also been up and down which i think you can anticipate happening and we all thought the a&m transfer you know was going to get the job done but he'll turned it over too many times last year way too many pass interceptions otherwise they might have been good but gary also uh had to take a lot of chances on defense because of injuries and that's what ultimately cost them but one thing we've learned about tcu as they made the move from uh, relative obscurity, and as I used to call it, uh, BCS busters in the old Mountain West. Now that they're in the, the Big 12 Conference, they have shown resiliency and ability to have a bad year, make the changes that were necessary to flip the script and turn it around and have a banner year the next season. Uh, but they've got to prove they can win without Trayvon Boykin at quarterback. You know, that's, the, that's what this season is all about for TCU. Tim, thanks so much for the time. Outstanding stuff. And I can promise you, Barry will not call you next week to do this once again. <laughs> I can assure oh, you. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Tommy, is it? do we have everything uh, good? Yeah, we have Tommy in. We're good. See, this We're is, good. Did you want me to record this? This, <laughs> this podcast? Hey, hey, fellas, can I give you one little, last little tidbit? Give sure. You, I, I've, got a, I've got a question for you guys. All right? If there is one kind of big story that you overlooked, I realize this is, this is the ballsy podcast and we're talking Texas. But if um, Ross Bjork at Ole Miss called Chad Morris today, would he take the job? Uh, yes. I think you'd have to. Yes. Wouldn't you? Well, I, I'll say this. If anybody at, believes that Ole Miss standing pat and not hiring someone between now and the time the NCAA – uh, makes its determination on infractions. If they don't do something and, and are proactive about where they're going with their program, then they run the risk of getting hammered. You know, they could get two years of bowls, and then you got a mass exodus, and you got one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Shea Patterson. Man, oh, man. Um, I personally believe they should hire Miles to be a consultant for the program uh, and just send a message to the committee that – someone from outside the current staff is at least being part of the program at this stage. Because right now, Matt Luke 
even though he's a good guy, we don't know what any of those guys knew about what went on with these phone calls. We don't know. I mean, we have no knowledge. But if you're asking who would be the right coach at the right time for a program like that to kind of keep the ball moving the way Freeze moved it, in my mind, Chad is the guy. Are you sure Chad Chad hasn't called Mississippi? I'm pretty sure he hasn't. Okay. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Miles's people have, uh, and I think they would be very wise to look at him at least in the. He's got money to spend because they're basically firing Freeze for cause. I mean, they call it a resignation, but right. you know they, they got five million dollars they're sitting on, and a little like Saban, who could hire Steve Sarkeesian as a consultant, why wouldn't Ole Miss hire a, a, an available head coach to be their consultant? It's outside their their current realm. Um, I think something needs to be done in that light, but we'll see if uh, the young athletic director does it. But I would tell you long-term, the coach that I would be going for if I were Ole Miss would be Morris. Well, Tim, fall's approaching. We can't wait to hear you on the call in the booth this uh, year at Fox and Fox Sports 1. And uh, thanks for the time today. We definitely appreciate it. See, I took care of SMU and TCU. See, there you go. (laughs) Everything. Got it all covered. All right, Tim, take care. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure, fellas. Anytime. Right. There he goes. That's Tim Brando in the booth on Fox and Fox Sports 1 this coming fall with college football. And, boy, if there was ever a podcast that can't wrap it up, it's this one. Oh, we, my God. After is Brad it, Sham and Tim Brando today, man. Is it amazing how you go, okay, Tim, we'll talk to you later, and then Barry goes, all right, now I've got to But in, in, fa- in fairness, Tim Brando <laughs> did bring something else up. He that was did, a good point. He, he made a extended, great yeah, point. Absolutely. We weren't gonna, a great We weren't going to mention the Hugh Freeze thing or SMU at all today. So no. At, at, look at us. All uh, the bases are covered. But those of us who work in professional radio and broadcast journalism <laughs> know. This side of the, the table, is that what you're saying? Th- th- those of us <laughs> know that when he's saying goodbye, that's the signal for nobody else to say anything. But that's the beauty so, of a podcast. No, 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 no. There's no sponsors. If you're the big There's no breaks. If you're the big professional, and I don't question your profession, why were you – I'm big. I don't know that I would w- say anything w- we, Why were you 15 minutes late today? Ooh. Oh. Attention. Um, because uh, – I don't know. A, bar- <laughs> a barbecue in Lufkin. That's a good excuse. No, I, I, here's the thing, though. Everybody should notice about Barry – he, he can't ever say goodbye. He's one of those people, and you walk out of the room, and he says, okay, I'll see you later. Hey, listen, uh, have you got a recipe for that chicken uh, yeah, salad? It's, it's true. It's true. You know what? From now on, well, I'll start saying goodbye at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that, we're done talking college football. Be sure to join us uh, here this week with Ballsy as they talk to uh, Cowboys play-by-play man Brad Sham. We also talk about the trade deadline approaching with your – Rangers who could be buyers or could be sellers. So be sure to tune in, like it, do whatever you have to do on social media. Thank you for listening to the Ballsy Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.